The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. And on the line now we have former Western Victoria MP Simon Ramsey. Good morning. Good morning, Mitchell, and good morning to your listeners. Well, what a year it's been. We've, of course, got our last program for the year tomorrow down there at the Shelter Shed in Queenscliff. Should be a wonderful day, but um, it's just been an amazing year. In some respects, it's been, I think, a very long year, particularly in the middle of all of those lockdowns. But in other ways, it's been a very short year because it seems like it was only yesterday that we were on here talking about the year ahead. Well, that's true. I mean, it seems to be sort of a bit of a chaotic year, wasn't it? And I think everyone's quite exhausted and looking forward to the Christmas break and sort of um, regrouping, if you like, uh, with family and friends. So I think all of us are glad to see the back end of uh, 2021, looking forward to, optimistically, I might say, uh, a better 2022. Now, um, fast rail, that seems to be an interesting point of conversation. As I was saying before the uh, 10 o'clock news, the issue of fast rail was brought up by, I think, you, one of the people talking about it in the lead up to the 2018 state election. Um, they had a, a policy, the Victorian opposition, of having what they called European fast rail. And then we have um, the federal election 2019 fast Rail was back on the agenda again, and I think now we're still talking about fast rail. Well, that's true. It's a bit bizarre, isn't it? Because um, I do remember in 2018, right in the dying days, the election campaign for uh, the Liberal Party, Matthew Guy came down to Geelong and um, flagged a, uh, a regional rail network with European style uh, trains travelling at up to 200 k's an hour. And at that time, he said he would be looking to shorten the Geelong-Melbourne trip to 32 minutes uh, by the use of these uh, new trains. Um, And then in 2019, we had the federal election, and I remember Scott Morrison um, uh, flagging... Actually, I was just thinking it might have been Malcolm Turnbull at the time. Prior to that, certainly raised the issue of fast train for Geelong, because he was quite an avid... Uh, he was public transport uh, traveller. Yeah, as, as, is, as is Matthew Guy, that travel the train a lot, as I do now, wherever I can. But they were talking a potential 50-minute trip uh, with uh, an investment of about $2 billion. So as far as I know, I thought the state government and the federal government have actually now co-invested uh, in um, providing a 50-minute service and they're looking uh, at the old Werribee line. Uh, and uh, I thought the feasibility work had been done. So I was somewhat amused, really, amused, I suppose that's the word, um, that Matthew Guy only recently sailed into Geelong and amongst a number of other comments he made was that he would provide a 30-minute rail service uh, between Melbourne and Geelong, and I'm not sure how he is to do that, given some works that already started on the joint state-federal $2 billion investment in, in a faster rail service. But I'm a bit uh, sort of um, supportive of what uh, Paul uh, Westclub was saying in respect to, well, travellers really want uh, comfort. They want a seat. They want to be able to have Wi-Fi. They want to sit in an uncrowded carriage. They want frequency um, rather than speed. And to my mind, if we could shave eight minutes off, and I think that's what the proposal is, at a cost of about $2 billion. Well, you know, I think that that is probably reasonable for people to expect to move from uh, Geelong to Melbourne. 
Yeah, I mean, I think eight minutes doesn't make a huge difference when you're sitting in a seat working on work projects with your Wi-Fi. Um, it does make a big difference when you're standing up um, with your head almost in someone else's armpit all packed like sardines into the train carriages. Um, but I think 30 minutes, I mean, it does sound like a bit of a pipe dream. It sounds very far off, but uh, it would be a huge game changer to be able to get on a train in Geelong and be in Melbourne 30 minutes later. I don't know if I'll ever see it in my lifetime, but um, it's still like I still like the sound of it. Well, it does sound good, and I suspect that's why our politicians sort of gush about reducing these uh, train travel times between Geelong and Melbourne. But in reality, it's probably highly unlikely, certainly in the short term, because we know what the congestion's like in and around uh, Southern Cross in getting, uh, you know, a fast train into that area. I only travelled up to um, Melbourne on the weekend to go to the Melbourne pre-selection, um, to the Liberal Party and, and caught about five trains, I think, to get out to the Caulfield Racecourse. And it's more about nothing wrong with getting up to Deer Park uh, from Geelong, quite a quick trip. Um, it's the sort of getting from there into the city is where everything goes slow. And even uh, a dedicated track like using the old uh, Werribee line, or Laverton line, um, would have trouble, I think, around Newport. But my understanding is they're talking about building tunnels and all sorts of other things to get into the city. So... Watch this space, but really, you know, you sort of question uh, the sort of viability and feasibility of uh, these comments being made from our respective leaders, political leaders, in respect to, you know, guaranteeing a fast rail service uh, between Geelong and Melbourne. I just can't see it. And I note uh, Senator Sarah Henderson was talking about uh, the duplication uh, of rail track between um and ponds in South Geelong. Now, that, that has been on the agenda for how long, Mitchell? I reckon when she stood uh, in 2013. Maybe uh, not that, unless, unless you know things that I don't, but I think I remember it maybe coming up about 2015. But, yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> so a lot of these projects, you know, they're talked about for so long, and I guess the how it's an um, announcement today, the billion-dollar Geelong Armoured Vehicle Deal. Well, my understanding was that was announced in 2019 um, and the contracts are only now starting to be signed off in 2021 and I assume uh, when a site is, is found and I gather it's, it may well not be in Geelong, it may be somewhere around Geelong, um, that uh, you know, production might start in 2022. So there is a lot of lead time, isn't it, in a lot of these projects? And it's clear on that announcement there's still some work to be done, like even choosing a site, for example. Correct. And there seems to be little detail. And again, I guess, um, to be fair, with uh, the manufacturing uh, deal announcement uh, that Matthew made when he was last in the city, uh, it was, uh, I think it was over $2 billion of which... One billion would be um, reserved for regional areas, but it was a five-year uh, financial plan for uh, stimulating manufacturing, but absolutely no details. So uh, even our local MPs appear not to know how that will be distributed to different businesses to kickstart. So while the politicians are saying they want government out of our lives, at the same time they can't wait to... Uh, sort of uh, meddle in them by uh, providing these, you know, civilian 
programs. But just looping back, and we make this point so many times, but you talk about the congestion going into Southern Cross Station. I mean, the regional rail link was meant to fix all of these issues, but I think it would be fair to say uh, this many years down the track, it's probably made the service worse that the actual end user receives. I mean, maybe they'll say, well, there's more population growth and it was always inevitable that there'd be congestion, but uh, the service seems to have deteriorated a lot from what it was pre the regional rail link days. Yeah, well, again, I must say, I haven't really had a bad experience on the train. I know it gets busy uh, around Windervale and Tarnate, but that was the purpose of that regional rail link. It was to link those up-and-coming new suburbs um, into the rail grid and um, provide dedicated track into Southern Cross. But I'm not quite sure that's worked so well. And if you remember, they had all those problems around North Melbourne where they had all those curvy bits and, of course, uh, the trains are having trouble staying on the track. I had to slow down to a speed now yes. where you sort of lose any uh, efficiency of time uh, coming into Southern Cross. And I think as the as the summer moves on and the heat comes on those uh, rails, we'll have probably a similar problem. But nevertheless, um, it's good to see uh, everyone's keeping the eye on the game in respect to improving our rail service between Geelong and Melbourne. Have you seen the um, rail carriages, the metro trains dumped at North Shore Station? A few people on social media have been talking about it. And we sort of found out about it a little bit ahead because one of our listeners messaged in and said, why are there these metro carriages down here? It turns out they're waiting to be scrapped, but in the process they've been spray canned and I think one was set on fire. Um, so it's interesting that they're using North Shore as a bit of a dumping ground for the retiring metro fleet. Yes, there seems to be increasing. Of course, um, the stabling yards are around there, aren't they? And that was a, another commitment I remember from the Labor government in moving the stabling yards out sort of towards Warren Ponds, and I'm not sure that's happened yet either, and that was an announcement made at least uh, two budgets ago. So, um, yes, I'm not sure why they're amassing the carcasses uh, at North Shore, but I'm sure someone um, that has better uh, intel than me will tell you why. Now, the other issue you wanted to talk about today is uh, state debt. Now, I see the state opposition is talking about this. I suppose it's unsurprising that debt would be um, a bit higher than usual, given that we've had a pretty tough year where there hasn't been as much economic activity and also the government's had to increase the money it's giving out. Yeah, well, it is concerning. I mean, the, the latest um, review of the last, you know, the September quarter shows about a $6.8 billion deficit just for the for the September quarter alone, um, I think the current debt's sitting around about $83 billion, um, which is a significant jump. But I think more worrying to uh, us as uh, taxpayers uh, will be the um, projected debt of somewhere around $200 billion uh, over the next few years um, with, um, you know, operating deficits of $20 billion a year, or certainly in this current year, that we're going to be seeing high taxes. Somehow the government has to claw back um, that some that debt uh, at some stage and the only way I can see they're going to do it is by reducing the public service costs, which they won't do. They seem to be increasing uh, the public service expenditure. Uh, so they'll be looking at increasing taxes. They'll be increasing um, land tax and stamp duty and payroll tax uh, because um, obviously with... Uh, COVID, we haven't seen the sort of increase in population that would give them an increase in GST receipts. So uh, they don't have a lot of wriggle room in respect to um, 
reducing debt and either they'll reduce uh, services, which they may well do, but they'll certainly increase uh, taxes. So watch this space, whether it's in cigarette or gambling or uh, other other tax increases, maybe uh, inheritance debt. I see that's, you know, getting a bit of chatter amongst the Greens at the moment. So it w- it'll be... Uh, It'll be interesting to see how they do respond to this sort of increasing trend of increasing debt. Do you think a Labor government would want to go into an election year talking about cutting services? I wouldn't have thought so. Uh, certainly Bill Shorten in his short uh, run for the, uh, the Prime Ministership talked about increasing taxes and we know that went down like a lead balloon. And of course Federal Labor is steering well clear of uh, any chatter about increasing or looking at any tax reforms. But the trouble is, um, Mitchell, with, you know, the very small window of policy reforms that federal, particularly three-year term federal governments have, is that you, you, they're reluctant to do anything about tax reforms. The, all credit to the Morrison government, they have uh, reduced some personal tax um, costs, uh, but you know, the big ticket items of really rejigging uh, the tax structure here in Australia uh, is um, and seems to be, uh, you know, too hard for um, our political leaders given given the election cycles and the short window of opportunity to do that. Now, pre-selections, you mentioned there that you were going to a pre-selection on the weekend. Seems like it's a big time for both uh, major parties. The Labor Party, I see, has announced its new candidate. Well, not announced, I suppose it still has to be ratified, but seems like there's only one person that wants to be the candidate for Lara, and I assume that they would be ratified and endorsed as the candidate for Lara, but then you've also got um, pre-selections on the other side. Mulvin, I see Michael O'Brien has uh, been re-endorsed again. Uh, Jess Wilson, who you mentioned on the program, I think, two weeks ago, is now the uh, Liberal candidate for Q. And also down here in South Barwon and Ballerin, I hear it's a two-way contest on both. Well, we'll have to wait and see. In fact, I think nominations closed for South Barwon today for the Liberal Party. Um, for those uh, wishing to uh, nominate, uh, Ballerin is still open. Or actually, I'm not sure if it's even open yet. Um but, uh, yes, I expect contests in both those seats. Um, they're both winnable seats for the Liberal Party and uh, certainly it's been no secret Andrew Katos is seeking to uh, win pre-selection for South Barwon, but I expect he'll be challenged, as will um, uh, those that uh, are seeking nomination for Ballerine where we'll have a convention. But that's very different to the Labor Party, Mitchell. I mean, we have a democratic process of having our members, financial members, have the opportunity to vote for who they want to elect them in their electorate. And it's made up by members at large through state council and also local members who all have the opportunity to vote. Labor have this strange little system where the unions uh, pick and choose who they want, depending which faction they belong to, to plonk in their seats. Now, see some members who I work with in the Legislative Council, it looks like they're going to be shoved out and some um, union-facilitated uh, uh, candidates being put in, whether they're in the right or the left faction. So the, the membership of Labor get no opportunity to vote for who they want. It's just a shuffling of deck chairs by the unions, depending which faction 
has has been agreed to get what seat, particularly in the upper house. And is this because I was um, just revisiting what happened last year with Adam Somerak and the Premier's response to that, etc.? And is this because they've, I think, decided not to run pre-selections in Labor until, is it 2024, um, while they uh, clean out the membership and run an audit and all that sort of thing? Well, they say they're trying to clean up um, their brand stacking, but, you know, we've seen, obviously, through the IBAC investigations uh, that's still going on, business as usual. Um, and uh, Adam Somerick, of course, is very quick at any opportunity now to criticise um, the Andrews government, Daniel Andrews particularly. Um, never cross a Turk, Mitchell. There's a um, perhaps good advice um, because... Um, uh, certainly, uh, Adam is, is, you know, wanting to, uh, provide some retribution for the way he felt he's badly, been badly dealt with. But, uh, look, Labor's in a mess at the moment in respect to their pre-selections and, uh, giving up the, um, the, uh, seats, both lower and upper house and the arguments that are ensuing between the different unions and factions. So, uh, while that's all going on, of course, the Liberal Party is just going about its business in democratically electing their candidates uh, uh, on merit uh, in um, in those seats, uh, both uh, that are marginal and not so marginal. And, and I'm reading, I'm reading that some MPs are actually asking the Premier to intervene and save their careers. I think um, Caesar Melham was one of the ones that was reported. Uh, he's an MP for Western Metro. Uh, Frank McGuire, I think, might be another one from Broad Meadows. So quite a few sort of high-profile people that seem to be asking for the Premier's assistance. Yeah, well, that's right. They're asking for Andrew's intervention to stop the power play that's going on uh, within the Labor ranks, but. Um, I mean, some of those members have been there some time. Uh, they, they almost see it as of right. Uh, you know, Caesar Mellon was dropping uh, uh, from his role as Secretary of the Australian Workers' Union. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, he's been there, I think, two terms now. Um, Nadia Elasma, who is president of the Legislative Council, they're trying to shift him out. Uh, he's a really nice uh, uh, gentleman. Um, but, you know, again, it's been there a long time, so Nazi probably uh, perhaps should and would have, under normal circumstances, probably moved aside to allow uh, a younger person uh, make his or her mark in, in the parliament. And I um, see um, Gail Tierney has put her hand up to go around, I think, for a fifth time? Yeah, see, Gail's been there a long time. I, I sort of, and she's, I think she's part of the shop traders and... Transport alliances, and I, I get mixed up with all these different union factions. But um, you know, she's come out of a, a union-based um, uh, organisation that was plonked into the upper seat. But you know, five terms—that's you know—we're we're looking at twenty years. That's a long time in Parliament. I really think you know, you do your two terms, three terms, and get out and make way for someone else. But I think Lisa Neville has also indicated she's continuing. That I don't understand because you know she's a she's allowed and guaranteed to get a defined benefit scheme for the rest of her life. Um, and uh, obviously there's been ongoing health issues with her. I would have thought it was probably time to allow someone else to um, uh, have the opportunity to stand in that seat uh, from the Labor Party. But it's all factionalised and no democratic process. So it's very difficult for anyone to nominate for those seats if the 
uh, sitting member won't retire. And just finally, um, with COVID, I see there's been a couple of issues just with the booster vaccine. Um, one ABC reporter was saying they tried to call up the hotline because they got vaccinated with the second one in July and uh, they were told, no, you have to wait six months when the federal government said, no, it's five months. And um, it seems that now the government's changed it so you can call up and book if it's a five-month interval, but there seems to have been just some confusion this morning about that. Well, I haven't um, tested the system yet, Mitchell, but I do find it funny that all through the COVID pandemic, uh, our political leaders were always responding to the fact that we uh, we take on health advice on any decisions we make in respect to um, vaccinations and public health. And uh, as far as I know, uh, the public health advice was that we would get a booster after six months of our second vaccination. Uh, now, I haven't heard anyone, Chief uh, Health Officer, say that, that that direction had changed, but I do note now our political leaders have indicated that, in fact, uh, it's safe to uh, get the booster shot uh, within well, after five months after the second vaccination. So, uh, yes, I don't know... Um, whether that's health advice or that's political advice, but I'm I'm I going to take the advice that I was given from the uh, chief health officer, and if that changes, I'll change with it. Well, thanks for being on the program, not just this year, but uh, since 2014, you've been a great contributor to this program and brought us a lot of interesting content. So we really appreciate it. Have a good break. Who knows? We might see you down at the shelter shed tomorrow when we're doing our outside broadcast. Well, I'm working down there, Mitchell, tomorrow, so I might pop in and say hello. Can I just say uh, I hope all your listeners have a very safe, happy and enjoyable Christmas opportunity to uh, see friends and family under, you know, um, or a happy circumstance. And um, I look forward to uh, seeing many of your listeners actually over the Christmas period as we move around the coast. Excellent. Thank you very much, Simon Ramsey, their former Western Victoria MP. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.